Good morning, family. It's good to see you this morning. I need to tell you that I have been extraordinarily busy lately for the best possible reason. It's been my pleasure to see uh, 18 pastors from 15 churches in Grove City come together in the most amazing kind of love and unity I have ever seen in 40 years of ministry. It's really, ama really an amazing thing. The Lord put it on my heart, I think it was in November, when the Lord put this concept into my heart in prayer and just said, what if, what if the, a number of the churches in Grove City could come together and we could invite everybody in Grove City to church for Easter? There are 58,000 people in our, in our zip code. On any given Sunday, only about 20,000 of them are in church. That means there are a lot of people out there, right? And we want them to know the Lord, right? And so the Lord put on my heart, what if we could come together as a group of churches and just canvas, make a personal invitation to every single person in our community? I shared it with about four pastors who got very excited about it, and we began to pray. And that has mushroomed now to 18 pastors from 15 churches, including all the larger churches in Grove City, that were coming together to make one united uh, uh, invitation to church on Easter Sunday. Where do you come in? Go ahead, ask me. In home group this week, I want every home group, so what we're going to do is uh, next week, not this coming week, but next week we are going to drop in the mail this postcard. This postcard will go to all 25,000 households in our zip code. And so what we're going to do, it's going to tell them that you're invited to come to church, the churches of Grove City. Which one should you attend? Well, it says that's really up to you. We're developing a website right now called gcchurches.org, and it'll, it'll invite them to go look at that and select their church. Is that awesome or what? <laughs> so we're going to be going out and inviting people not to come to our church, but to come to our church, right? What could God do with that kind of unity, right? Think about it. So this is going to go out next week, and so that in home group this week, every home group is going to take a thousand of these home, all right? And you're going to, this week is going to take, if, if there are 10 people, it'll take about 30 to 40 minutes to carefully put a nicely centered label on it, a stamp up in the corner. And home group leaders, listen very carefully to me. Home group leaders, please stand. Raise your right hand. I promise that I will put these in the mail exactly on Tuesday, April 9th. You all heard it right here on the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Okay, you may sit down. Thank you. Very important that you put it in on the right day, right? We want this to arrive just about a week before thousands of us from these churches go out into the neighborhoods and knock on every door. Knock on every door. And if somebody answers, we say, hey, if you don't have a church you're planning to go to on Easter, we'd love for you to come to one of the churches in Grove City. Which one? Well, just visit this website and you can decide. And if there, nobody answers the door, we just hang this up on their doorknob, right? This is going to be amazing. Because here's what we're planning on doing. We're going to be doing this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights before Easter. So the week of Easter. Every night at 6 o'clock, you'll be invited to, 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 to gather at one of four churches. One of them will probably be this one. And everybody who wants to go out that night will gather together 
and we're going to jumble you all up. Send you out two by twos. Our greatest hope was that you would, be, you would go somewhere with somebody you never met before from another church. Man. And just go down your sign street and knock on the doors. Man, what could happen? What could happen, right? Maybe you can't go all four nights. Maybe you can only go one night. Maybe you can't go. Maybe you say, I can't get around like that. Well, then you come. Because we're going to have some people who stay behind just to pray while the people are out canvassing, right? Can you do, still do this? You're in. I thought when the Lord put this thing on me that this was going to be a, just a unified effort to invite people to church on Easter Sunday. But the possibilities for this thing, seeing the way, man, two weeks ago, we had 18 pastors, 17 or 18 pastors out in our lobby, all eating pizza together, loving each other, praying with each other, embracing each other, from the Catholics to the Pentecostals. We shot a video together. Yep, we'll show you that video one of these Sundays. Just inviting people to come to any of the churches in Grove City. Would you pray with me? Father, I feel like we're at an amazing moment, a moment of something profound, something, something not dreamt up by man, but inspired by you. Lord, we've seen in your Bible what you can do when people come together in unity. We've seen in church history what can happen when people, believers, come together in unity. It seems like the possibilities in front of us as a community of churches is endless. And so, Father, we pray your blessing, your anointing, your power, your strength on this whole outreach, Father, that it would just be done in such a way that surely some will find their way into churches and find their way into salvation, but at the same time, w w something amazing will happen as a tremendous testimony to the world of what can happen when believers come together in unity. We believe for this. We pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Whew. So if I owe you an email or a visit or a phone call or something, now you know why, right? It's been a wonderful but extraordinarily busy time for me. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I never meant to be the leader of it. <laughs> just thought I was going to be the prophet to bring the word into the room, you know. <laughs> well, we're going to continue this morning with our series, As Is. As Is is that term that we use in commercial exchange that says, yeah, you can buy this, but you are receiving it in the condition in which it exists. I'm making no guarantees. Uh, making no guarantees, and uh, there are probably faults, there are probably troubles in there somewhere, but that's what you're buying, and you know that's what you're buying, and that we've decided, we've seen, is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That the Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross for us to purchase us as we are, in our as-is condition. Now, he doesn't intend for us to stay there. He has plans for us, but he purchases us in our as-is condition. 
And I just have a question for you this morning. Has anyone here ever struggled with cynicism? Cynicism. You know, that place that where your skepticism just gets out of control and you just go, ah, it's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, the whole thing. Seriously? And this thing kind of wells up inside of you and you go, I don't believe that. It's some kind of a con. That tall, bald guy's got all those people brainwashed or something. And cynicism wells up inside of us. Well, if you've ever struggled with cynicism, and if you're thick with it right now, do I have good news for you? And the good news is that God will take you exactly as you are in the depth of your cynicism. How do I know that? Ask me. I know that because of the probably, perhaps one of the most overlooked exchanges between Jesus and someone in all of the Gospels, between Jesus and this guy named Nathaniel, in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Are you ready? Boy, you know what I miss? I miss hearing the pages turn like we used to. I can't hear you do this. Man, I used to love to just say, turn to something and hear those. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Do that for me on a regular basis. Those of you old schoolers like me, would you just flip those things <laughs> to make up for... Thank you. <laughs> Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now remember, he had just called his first disciples, right? Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? <laughs> Can you hear his cynicism? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. I love Philip's response. Come and see. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Something happened in that instant. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. <laughs> Jesus said, well, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Lord, come and bless yes, the preaching of your word here today. Let's have a look at this amazing encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel. The cynic. Let's, let's talk, start by talking about who is Nathaniel. What is his name? His power is an important part of this is, is understanding his name. Now, we've been studying this Bible for a while, and we know that when we see in names the, 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 the word E-L, L, together, we should be suspicious that that has some connection with God because the Hebrews, who would not say or, or, or spell God per se, they had so much reverence and respect, they had other words that they used to refer to God, one of which was Elohim, and, and so that was often short, shortened L. Another one was Yah, or Jah, as we would say it, in a westernized way of saying it, which meant Yahweh or Jehovah, same thing. Yahweh, Jehovah, same thing. Just kind of depends on how technical you want to be. And so when we see these together, like an L or an Jah or something like that, 
in a name, we know that there's something being said about God. So do you think of Elijah, right? Elijah, well, you actually have to flip it because of the way Hebrew works. Elijah, his name meant that Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. That was the name, that was what Elijah meant. So he's living in this polytheistic society, right? And people are always asking him, so what's your name? Jehovah's God. Jehovah. And so people are trying to sort out, you know, this pantheon of gods in their society. What's your name? Jehovah is God. No, just what's your name? Jehovah is God. It's like the poor guy who was named Shut Up, right? And he was pulled, and so he's pulled over for speeding, and the police officer said, What's your name? Shut up. What's your name? Shut up. What's your name? Shut up. Out of the car, buddy. It's like the it's like the cruel man who named his dog Stay, and the poor dog was so confused. Come here, stay. Come here, stay. Come here. Stay. Those are terrible jokes. Terrible jokes. I don't tell jokes. I tell stories. Nathaniel. Nathan Nathan Al. Nathan Al. We say Nathaniel. Nathan Al. Nathan means gift. Nathaniel means gift of God. Gift of God. I find that so interesting because that means that Nathaniel grew up, whenever his name was said, whenever his mama said his name, gift of God. Gift of God. Gift of God. Whenever his dad, hey, gift of God. Where's the remote? <laughs> hey, gift of God. Anytime his teacher called on him, gift of God. <laughs> That's all he ever heard. He's a gift of God. He's a gift of God. What a great way to grow up, right? Something happened, though. Something happened. Something came sometime to sour that kind of idyllic life. It turned him in some way. Something went wrong, infected somehow with cynicism, so much so that when Philip came, and Philip, can't you just see, so full of enthusiasm, he says, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one that Moses, this is so important, Moses wrote about. That We found the one who is prophesied in the Old Testament. We found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And instead of idealism, hot diggity, he immediately raises an objection, a strong objection. Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Man, you would say that about Ann Arbor. <laughs> Hath anything good come out of Michigan? You know, it was something with this Nazareth thing that was really getting to Nathaniel, right? It was his immediate reaction. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why would he have a problem with Nazareth? He, when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth, he was talking about, can, can Messiah come out of Nazareth? He really didn't have a problem with Nazareth. What he was saying is that there is no prophecy that says that the Messiah is going to come out of Nazareth. 
Remember, he, he was, Jesus was pitched to him as the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. And when he heard Nazareth, he knew it so well that he said, Nazareth, Nazareth, that, that's not even a place that Messiah is going to hail from. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Some of you who are such great Bible students are thinking about Matthew 2.23, aren't you? Yeah, you're going, now wait just a second there, Tom. It says in Matthew 2.23, and he went, talking about Jesus, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. What are you going to do with that? Well, let's have a look at that. I want you to look at that. He will be called a Nazarene. And tell me what's missing. Look at it compared to all the other prophecies on the page. What? I, I didn't hear you. No? Look at, just compare it to how another prophet, look just down in three where it says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. What do you see next? Do you have a footnote? What? Thank you. So do you have a footnote? How many of you in that prophecy have a little A next to it or a footnote of some sort, depending on where it is on the page, yes? And you look down and it says Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. So that wherever you see some prophecy on that page, there is a reference to it, five on this page, the way my Bible is set up. So it's missing from he will be called a Nazarene. Why is it missing? It's missing because it doesn't exist in the Old Testament. What? Is this causing you to scratch your head a little bit? What do you mean? He says right there, what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene, and yet there's no reference to where that is in Old Testament. Why is that? That's because Matthew was written after the fact. What? Hang on. Hang on. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Don't you wish you brought your Bible today? Isaiah chapter 11. God's watching. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It's talking about Jesus. So many prophecies about Jesus in Isaiah, right? Come on. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned for unto us. A child is born, a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's all Isaiah and many, many more. That he shall be born of a virgin. Isaiah. All these things. And so it's talking about Jesus here. And it says, a shoot will come up. From the stump of Jesse, who was Jesse? David's dad, right? So it's talking about that, that the, the Savior will come from the line of David. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Is your branch capitalized? Yeah. So Jesus, in most cases, it's capitalized as an indication to us that the branch... From the stump of Jesse, a branch will come, and the branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And you keep reading, the branch is Jesus. The branch is Jesus. Okay? 
Now let's go back and see what's going on with Nathaniel here. All right? Hebrew word for branch is netzer. Netzer. Nazar, we would say. Nazar. Nazareth should be interpreted village of the branch, city of the branch, city from which the branch will come. And something happened when Nathaniel in his cynicism said, Nazareth, there's no prophecy for that, walked toward him and he said, here's a true Israelite, Jesus said, in whom there's no guile. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Well, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. What was he under in the fig tree? <laughs> if he was under it, he was under a branch. He knows the scriptures. He's walking toward Jesus in his cynicism. Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth. City of the branch. And Jesus used the fact that he was sitting under a branch to put this in his head. That the dots connected. Now notice, the dots connected as he got close to Jesus. Because he said, how do you know me? He said, well, I knew you when you were far off. And the dots connected as he said, Nazareth, he's a... He's a Nazarene, not a nectarine. He's a Nazarene. He'll be called a Nazarene. So that when Matthew was written, and they said, as the prophets, plural, have said, he will be called a Nazarene, was not a specific prophecy, but it was written after the fact that all this is figured out, that he's the branch, and so he's from Nazareth, because he's from the city of the branch. I find this fascinating. I just find, some scholars say that Nazareth, I don't know if I agree with this, but some scholars say that Nazareth did not exist at the time that Isaiah wrote. So that he, in essence, prophesied about a city that was not yet. The closer he got to Jesus, the less his cynicism controlled him. Let's talk about cynicism. Cynicism is a healthy skepticism that has gotten out of control. I think, I think a little skepticism is healthy, don't you? I think we should be a little skeptical at first blush when we hear certain things that don't appeal to our sense of logic. I think if we, we, we hear something, we go, nah, that's, that's, something about that doesn't quite ring true. I think that's all right. We don't need to jump on every, man, if we jumped on every bandwagon that rolled along, we'd be jumping on bandwagons, right? When we, I think a little skepticism to say, hold the phone here a little bit, just stop a second, is good. If you have questions about what you see here, it's okay to be skeptical. If a bunch of people come up here and the Holy Spirit moves and you see stuff that causes you to go, well, I've never seen that before. It's okay. It's okay to ask a question. We welcome questions here. We won't kick you out for having questions. We're not that kind of church. Questions are good. 
Skepticism is good. But skepticism can become cynicism if left untreated. Skepticism, if we don't, if we don't push through. Skepticism says, you know, I have a question about that. Well, then let's ask the question. Let's step up and ask the question. Let's not just develop a list of questions that go, I have so many questions about this that, that that's when it becomes cynicism, right? And you go, ah, oh, forget it. I don't trust any of it. Cynicism is healthy skepticism that's gotten out of control. Cynicism, I think, is a way of dealing with the disappointment of our shattered idealism. Come on. We're, as children, we're idealists, are we not? Everything's perfect. Everything's great. And we're called to be children. <laughs> but something comes in and shatters that idealism. Some stuff happens, right? And our idealism is shattered. And one of the ways that we deal with the disappointment of our idealism is just to, just to become cynical about it. It could be about marriage. Some of you were idealistic about your marriage. It didn't work out. And now you're cynical about the whole thing. And it's a way that we deal with the disappointment of a shattered idealism. I don't think in 40 years of ministry I have ever quoted the late George Carlin in a, in a message. <laughs> but he did once say, scratch any cynic and you will find inside a disappointed idealist. That's pretty cool. Scratch any cynic and you'll find inside a disappointed idealist. Cynics. I know you're in there. Cynics, you who have put up a callous exterior of cynicism, I, I know you're in there. I know you want to believe. Cynicism is also a way of shielding ourselves from our missing sense of belonging. Cynics necessarily have to place themselves outside the group and go, ah, you guys, y'all are a bunch of holy rollers or whatever, however you, you put that together. You know, you, you, gotta, you have to remove yourself from the group, don't you, to be a cynic about anything. And, and so cynicism is a way of shielding ourselves, and that hurts. It hurts to put, we are made, we are designed to be in company, to be in relationship, to be in fellowship, to be in community. We are designed for this. And there's power in this. And it hurts when we, when we pull ourselves away from it. And so cynicism is something that we do. Well, I'll tell you why I'm not part of them. Does this, that make sense? That's why I'm so grateful that you all are such welcoming people. I hear it over and over and over again from people who come here for the first time, that they felt so welcomed. It's, it's why it's so important that you continue to be welcoming people, whoever walks through that door. It's your move, right? If you're already here, somebody walks through that door that you don't know, it's your move. It's not their move, it's your move. It's so important. Why? Because it's love that will change the cynic's heart. It's the sense of belonging that will give the cynic the opportunity to come near to Jesus. And I think third, cynicism is a way we console ourselves when we're not feeling our faith. You know, feeling our faith, that's important. I mean, our, our relationship with God is not built on emotions, but it definitely has emotion with it, doesn't it? 
It's not emotionalism, like, you know, we try to get people all worked up. But it's like, if I have a relationship, let me just think about this logically. If I have a relationship, a personal relationship with the God of the universe, who loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me, that has a lot of capacity for emotion, does it not? And so we feel it. And we feel it at times, and, and there are times when we don't feel it, and we don't feel it, and we begin to wonder about it. Why don't I feel it? Why don't I feel it like they feel it? And it's, that's what cynicism does. It's always a me versus they. And so we, we, we begin to deal with that by console ourselves, saying, well, I don't feel it, so it must not be true. Ravi Zacharias, in his very excellent book, Cries of the Heart, said that our desire to actually feel God in our lives is one of the most essential and healthy desires of the human heart. That it's a desire for well-being, to feel God. It brings security. It's a desire for well-being. Now, to know that no matter what is happening, that God is somehow there with you. That's something you feel. I remember as a kid growing up in the suburbs of Los Angeles and Man, going home after school and throwing my books down, grabbing my ball glove, and we'd go out in the street, and we'd play, we'd play, we'd play baseball until the streetlights came on. That's when I was supposed to come home, okay? That was my cue. Streetlights blink on. Got to go, guys. And uh, we'd go out there, and we'd play in the street. It was a suburb. You know, it was a quiet street. Somebody would always, always yell, what? Right, car! Right? Who knows what I'm talking about, right? You're out there playing, car! Okay, all right, somebody had to yell car. <laughs> that happened every day. Same weather every day in Los Angeles, right? Every day. You know, out there yelling car. And I always remember out there playing basketball when somebody yelled car, and I'd look, and I'd see that Robin Egg blue Ford station wagon. Make the corner, pull into our driveway. I knew my dad was home. Good. Dad's home. That's a feeling. It's a feeling of security. That's the feeling we're meant to have as believers, a feeling of the Father's love, the Father's presence, the Father's protection, the Father's heart for us. When we don't feel God, we become anxious and insecure. And at some point, we may fall prey to skepticism. If left untreated, become victim to cynicism when we say, oh, forget the whole thing. Jesus called Nathaniel in his fully cynical condition, this guy who said, Nazareth. I mean, he just reacted with such cynicism. And Jesus said, perfect. Come closer. He said, just come closer. Step up here. Does Nathan's story resonate with you? Maybe you're racked with skepticism about this whole thing. Maybe you were drug here against your will today. Does, does Nathan's story just resonate with you, racked with skepticism? Maybe you started out strong. Maybe you grew up as Nathaniel, a gift of God. Maybe you grew up in all of this, and at some point you just said, forget it. Something soured you. Something happened. Somebody did something to you, maybe. Maybe it was a pastor. 
who tricked you. Something happened to shatter your idealism. And you just began to feel unincluded outside. You didn't feel it anymore. You didn't feel your faith. Well, what's a cynic to do, really? What's a cynic to do? Well, I know this. In spite of what you think, cynic, you will not be persuaded by superior logic. You think in your cynicism you're just waiting for somebody to come along and be able to explain that sufficiently to you so it'll make sense. That's not the issue. The issue is that something's broken. You will not be persuaded with logic because it's not about the understanding, it's about the experience. I shudder to think if Karen would ever sit down and apply logic to our marriage. I shudder to think the day she might write pros and cons for being married to Tom. She's not in it for the logic. She's in it for the experience. <laughs> That's terrible. Cynic, if left untreated, it'll be faithful. It'll be, it'll be fatal. It'll be lethal. You'll miss salvation if left untreated. If you just allow your cynicism to remain as an excuse for coming to the Lord. The Bible says, it is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment. We have one life and two possible destinations afterwards. Personal relationship of faith with Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes the difference. So I believe Jesus is saying, come and see. He's saying, just come and see. Come. And that's what he said to Nathaniel. He said, just come closer. Just come closer. It is so hard. <laughs> It is so hard not to have your cynicism dealt with when you're next to him. Come and see. Skeptics, you are welcome here at the vineyard. Thank you for coming. Cynics, you are welcome here at the vineyard. But I just encourage you now to bring your questions. Bring your question to the Lord. Nathaniel brought his question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to invite you, church, once again to join me in praying a prayer. And it's a prayer that I believe can be prayed by anyone who's already a believer. I think all of the essence of this prayer is something that will resonate with your heart. It's also a prayer that could be prayed by any of you here who are ready to come near to Jesus and say, okay, I want to come near to you. I want you to come into my life. I want to become a Christian, even with all my questions and doubts and cynicism. I want to see. I want to come and see. So in either case, this prayer that I'm about to pray, I think, is one that we can all pray. So I'm going to pray it out a line at a time, and as I do, if 
and only if you can agree with what I'm saying would you also say that line aloud. Dear God, I want to know you. I want to be your child. I want to experience your presence. I want to know that you are here in my life. I want to have all my sins forgiven. I want to live a new life. I want your son Jesus Christ to be my savior. I want your son Jesus Christ to direct my life. I want to trust Jesus as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Would you just for a moment keep your heads bowed for me? I'd just like to ask a question for those of you who, with all these heads bowed and just be between you and me, for those of you who just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life and first time asked Christ into your life, would you just raise your hand where you are so I can see who you are and know and pray, I see you, thank you, I see you, praise the Lord, thank you for you. I see you as well. Thank you. Thank you. You may put your hands down now. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm so grateful for you three. I'm so grateful for you three. Praise God. You've just come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven, the Bible says. You have a new life. Now, for those of you who maybe prayed that prayer as a way of coming back to the Lord. You once knew the Lord, but you've wandered away and you've you're, you prayed that prayer and you say, I'm back. Would you raise your hand so I could see you? I see you and you and you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You may put your hands. I see you as well. And you. Well, in just a moment, we're going to we're going to sing and it's going to have opportunity for two things to happen. One is for our prayer ministry people to come up along the sides and and uh, they'll be there to pray for you for anything you need prayer for. If you're a person here who has anything going on that you just want somebody to pray with you, these people will be off to the sides, will be there and you can come up and they'll pray with you. And I'm gonna stand right here and I would like to ask everybody who raised their hand just to please come up to me while this music is going on. And, and I, I want a book, I, want, I have a book I want to give you. It's a book that says Start Here. It just talks about how to, how to get going in your new relationship with the Lord. I just want to pray a quick prayer, short prayer with you. And if you don't have a Bible, I want to give you one. So in just a moment, as the church responds to the presence of the Lord, some will go to the sides for prayer. And those of you who raised your hands, would you please, would you please, Find the courage to just come on up to me and I want to just have a couple of minutes with you, okay? Church, let's stand together, please. <laughs> 